All right, as you open your Bible to 2 Kings 19 for tonight's message, I wanted to give you a little background of the history of Israel and Judah leading up to this. So, uh, 2 Kings 19. Upon the succession, the succession of Rehoboam, Solomon's son, uh, who was king of Israel, the kingdom split into Israel and Judah. So now two kingdoms. And the covenant God made with David continued through the nation of Judah. And 11 kings had become in Judah since the splitting of Rehoboam. And now we come to the 12th kings since Rehoboam of Hezekiah. His father um, Ahaz was not a good king. He led many people away uh, from the Lord during his rule in Judah. And he did many bad things, but we'll get to that. Uh, in verse 5 of chapter 18, in the introduction in 2 Kings, it said that there was no king like Hezekiah before or after him. That's a pretty amazing statement to hear from Hezekiah, considering some of the great kings we've read about um, in Israel. Uh, but Hezekiah took down the high, the high statues and the high structures that Ahaz, his father, had instilled for uh, worship. Hezekiah also destroyed the bronze serpent that Moses created in Numbers when they were bitten um, at the camp. They were bitten by the snakes, the venomous snakes, and Moses prayed for God to deliver them. And he went and he created the serpent out of bronze. And whoever looked at that serpent in saving faith would be saved. And under Ahaz's reign, uh, people in Judah began to worship that serpent. They began to burn incense to it. So Hezekiah shattered it into pieces. This is some of the amazing stuff that he did. He built and fortified defenses for his kingdom. He, built, he uh, uh, furthered their irrigation canals. He really built the nation of Judah. And my point in telling you this is to give you context into 2 Kings 19. Verses 14 to 19. There's a major trial facing Hezekiah now. Okay? The Assyrian army is on a great conquest under Sennacherib. They are going around destroying cities. And it is recorded that they've destroyed about 46 cities and small towns in Judah alone. Not to mention Syria and Israel. Um, and, this, and Sennacherib and his armies are at the gates of Jerusalem in Judah. And now they are threatening Hezekiah and threatening the Jewish nation. In light of this trial, Hezekiah shows us in his prayer that he has a godly reaction, reverence, and reason in prayer. Which brings me to my proposition for you all, is that you should have a godly reaction, reverence, and reason in prayer. So, let's go ahead and read 2 Kings 19, 14 to 19, and we'll get into it. It says, verse 14, Then Hezekiah took the letter from the hand of the messengers and read it, the messengers from Sennacherib. And he went up to the house of the Lord and spread it out before the Lord. Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord, the God of Israel, who are enthroned above the cherubim, you are the God, you alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made the heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. And listen to the words of Sennacherib, which he 
has sent to reproach the living God. Truly, O Lord, the kings of Assyria have devastated the nations and their lands, and have cast their gods into the fire. For they were not gods but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. So they have destroyed them. Now, O Lord, our God, I pray, deliver us from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone, O Lord, are God. Before we get into this, let's pray real quick, and we'll, I'll proceed with the outline. God, thank you for this night. Uh, thank you for your word. Thank you for how it teaches us. Thank you that we can take texts uh, that don't apply directly to the church, and that we can apply them to our lives and learn from them just as much as we can from the New Testament. Lord, I pray that you help us to understand this text. Um, in Christ's name I pray. Amen. So here are my, here's my outline for these six verses. Chat, or verse 14 is a godly reaction. Verse 15 is a godly reverence. And verses 16 to 19 is a godly reason in prayer. So the first outline, the first point, you should have a godly reaction in prayer. Now, a reaction to what? A reaction to your circumstance. A message is sent from Sennacherib saying, surrender or be destroyed. Hezekiah takes this letter, and it's important to note the first thing that he does with it. He takes it, and he goes to the house of the Lord, spreads it before the Lord, and prays. He then proceeds to pray in a certain way. But before we think of this, with Ahaz, Ahaz was a man who was presented with the Assyrians the same way he was. And Ahaz, instead of going to the Lord and praying for it first, he immediately gives in to the Assyrians and pays them amount of money to leave. That's not what Hezekiah does. He doesn't make the same mistake his father did. He took it to the temple and he prayed for it. His immediate reaction to his circumstance was to go and pray. And that's this first point, is that our first reaction to our trial should be to go and pray. We should take our worries before the Lord and pray. Hezekiah does this beautifully, and you can sense in reading this the emotions that he is going through. He teaches us, let our initial reaction full of emotions be to go before the Lord and pray. This concept is taught extensively to even the New Testament church. I know if, uh, if you're thinking of it right now, you're probably thinking of 1 Peter 5-7. You might be thinking of some Psalms or Proverbs that we can really meditate on in times of trial. Now, whether you're faced with trials or threats to whatever degree, we need to think. Too often, we find ourselves going to other places other than the Lord. Think of some places that you might go other than the Lord right away to pray instead of prayer. I know for, for me, I can find at times that I might go to myself. I might self-isolate myself. You might self-isolate yourself. You're faced with the trial. You're faced with the fear. The first thing you do is you, you, get, you get sad. You get anxious. You might feel depressed. You might feel a certain way, and you, you let that emotion sink into yourself. Some people might take that to their family or their friends. They might begin to let them be their sound box, and they're, they're letting them have it. They're letting them know. We need to take this to God first. Whether we're worried about our family, friends, our country, our future, whatever it is, take that to the Lord. 
Think about how different our posts on social media would look. Think about how our disposition would be around friends and family if the first thing we did when we saw them wasn't complain or wasn't, ex wasn't express what we're feeling, but we had first taken that to the Lord. And now we're ready to go renewed, refreshed. And I know that when you all do it, when I do it, we do feel that, find that joy and peace. And whether or not we might experience it in our lives, we still have it. And when we go to other people, we are able to then focus on more eternal things and not make it so much, not so much about ourselves because we've, we've talked about it to God first. We sing a song here, um, I run to Christ when chased by fear. And that's the exact response we need to have when faced with these trials. That's the exact response that Hezekiah teaches us. But he doesn't just teach us our initial reaction, which is to run to Christ and pray. Run to God and pray. Because your reaction can be there. But he has his reverence there as well. His worship of God. So we are taught this in verse 15. Let's look at 2 Kings 19, verse 15. It says, Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord, the God of Israel, who are enthroned above the cherubim, cherubim, you are the God, you alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth. You made heaven and earth. There are some things in life that you're taught not to do it, but you don't realize you shouldn't do it until you've done it. Well, this is one of those things. My parents taught me growing up that when you go to someone, or when you come in a door, you come in with your ears open and your mouth closed. And that's something that I didn't learn until I've done it a few times, and sometimes I still do it. But I was in high school one time, and I had been preparing to write an essay in English. And I was in study hall. My teacher had the same uh, planning time I did, if you want to say it that way. He had, uh, she had her planning time. I was in study hall. So I got frustrated one time trying to figure out this outline. And I, I got a hall pass to go see her, and I barged in that door, and I said, Mrs. G, I need help. And she sent me right back out. <laughs> And she, she didn't like the way I approached her. It wasn't the right approach. It wasn't an approach of humility. And we need to take this from Hezekiah, right? There's a level of humility that comes with going before the presence of someone of authority, especially God. There are a lot of emotions involved in trials. There are a lot of requests that we have to make in trials. But Hezekiah, he goes to God first and he praises and worships God first. He has a level of humility. He knows his place. Okay? We should have a godly reverence in prayer. Now, there are two amazing models more amazing models we can find in the Bible. But the first two that I think of is I think of Hezekiah and then I think of the Lord's Prayer. The disciples ask Jesus, how should we pray? And the first thing he says is, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Or, your name is holy. May your name be set apart. Okay? I want to encourage you to pray in this way. And to not just fall into repetition of, Dear Heavenly Father, yes, that's acknowledging it, but then... Dear Heavenly Father, I pray for this. But to really go before Him and to pray and reverence Him in His characteristics, in His attributes, in His history, what He's done for us in our past. 
because there's so much more. That's the level of humility that we're shown here. That's the level of humility and reverence that we need to have when praying uh, to God. So, not only does he just list random attributes of God when he goes to prayer, but these are specific to his request or to his reason. We think of this when he prays in um, verse 15. He says, O Lord, the God of Israel who is enthroned above the cherubim. Now the word O Lord here is the Hebrew word Yahweh, which is specific to the Old Testament God of Israel. This is the God that they knew. He says, you are enthroned above the cherubim. The cherubim were the, were the, were the, thing, the angels above the Ark of the Covenant. And it was above in the Holy of the Holies. And they represent in the Bible majesty and presence of the Lord. And so what Hezekiah is speaking here is that you are the God of Israel. You are the God that dwells among us. You are the God that you have chosen us. And so when, we, when he's praying that way, he then transitions to the eternal or universal reign of God. So after that, he then says um, in verse 15, You are the God, you alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth, you have made heaven and earth. This God that he references, the word God, is Elohim, which is a general term for God, one that Sennacherib might understand, one that other nations would use to reference their God. So this is a universal term for God. So what is the point? Why does he bring this up that he's the God of Israel, yet also the God of the whole earth, the Creator, the Sovereign Lord? over everything because it's specific to his request or his reasoning that he's going to make in verses 16 to 19. So we see this and we think how doctrinally sound is that prayer? I want to encourage you to, to pray doctrine and to pray it specific to your reasoning for the request. This is what Hezekiah is doing. When we reverence God in this specific matter. So, he is bringing his reverence before God for his reason. So my last point here is that we should have a godly reason in prayer. Verse 16 says, Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear Open your eyes, O Lord, and see, and listen to the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to reproach the living God. So, what is he asking God to incline his ear to and open his eyes to? This isn't a knock on God's omniscience. He obviously knows, you know, it's implied that God knows that this is happening, but, but this is his reason as to why God should answer this prayer. And remember, he's not doing this demanding. He's not incline your ear, open your eyes. But he's going with his emotions, his initial reaction, and he is doing it, he is reverencing the Lord first, and then he is making his reason known. What should God incline his ear to? Well, that is Sennacherib. In this very chapter, if you go up to verse 10 and 11, this is what Sennacherib had said to King Hezekiah 
that he was going to do. He gives him an ultimatum. This is what he says in verse 10 and 11. He says, Thus you shall say to Hezekiah, king of Judah, Do not let your God in whom you trust deceive you, saying, Jerusalem will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Behold, you have heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all the lands, destroying them, so will you be spared. What should God open his eyes to? We know from the Bible that there were at least 185,000 Assyrian army men. We also know that they were very successful, like I said at the beginning, that they had conquered 46 cities and small towns in Judah alone. This was a very real and imminent threat, an immediate threat to the city of Jerusalem and to the kingdom of Judah. The line of David, which Hezekiah, being a king, would be fully aware of and being one seeking after, seeking after God. This is regarded as a critical event in history as well. There have been books written on this about alternate history. What if Sennacherib had taken over the kingdom of Judah? Now we know that God is faithful and that you know, no one is going to, to do away with God's elect. But there have been historians that have tried to imagine what would have happened. This is a very real, a very big threat that had taken place. But this is the beauty of it in verses 17 to 19. 17 and 18 states that Sennacherib didn't want to just destroy those cities. He wanted to destroy those gods. Let's go ahead and read that again. Truly, O Lord, the king of Assyria have devastated the nations in their lands and have cast their gods into the fire. For they were not gods, but the work of man's hands, wood and stone. So they have destroyed them. This is the main point of Hezekiah's prayer. Verse 19. It says, Now, O Lord our God, I pray, deliver us from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone, O Lord, are God. So we go from Sennacherib wanting to destroy kingdoms and destroy gods to Hezekiah praying that his kingdom be delivered. But we, we realize the reason for it, and this is the main point. Prior to this, Judah was experiencing success under Hezekiah. Like I said, he had stored up treasures. He had built defenses. He had um, built up irrigation. He is not praying here that Judah is delivered because he's done these things or that Judah is delivered because he wants to hang on to these things. He's not saying, God, I built this for you. This is your kingdom. Look what I've done. Spare us. Look at this. He's not saying that. His emotions and his reaction and reverence did not come from the thought of him losing his material kingdom or possessions. He is not acting this way because he, wants to, he does not want to lose his things. He is reacting this way because God's name is on the verge of being blasphemed and discredited. When a nation would conquer another nation, they would burn those gods. They would destroy them. We're seeing that here. And the people would often follow the nation that conquered them. That's what is imminent. That is, that is what is about to happen. 
And we can feel Hezekiah's emotions in this. So Hezekiah prays that God's name would not be blasphemed and not be put to shame by the man who is on a conquest of destroying nations and discrediting their gods. But he is praying that he delivers them from the nation for the sake of God's name being proclaimed and magnified. I'm convicted in this. And as I studied it, I had to, I had to really meditate on this. Because are we quivering for the United States to be saved physically first? Or are we quivering for God's name to be magnified for the people to be saved? It's okay to do first, but which is more of a concern? As a growing person in the Lord desires to pray that God's name is magnified through their trials, that reason is the reason in which we pray. And you should be praying that whatever trial we talked about earlier, that God is allowing in your life, and no matter the outcome, that his name is magnified, and his name will be reached. We should be praying for that first, and our outcome last. How selfless of a prayer, and how humble of a prayer. So I ask myself, how is he able to do this? Because I fail so much in this. Remember what was already talked about. He's a man devoted. He's a man in awe. He's a man that worshiped God in every way he could. He's a godly man with his focus on why he's on this earth. His focus had been in the right place. Is our focus in the right place? Is your focus in the right place? Right? How much does the Bible talk about the passing of this world? The passing of our possessions and of our bodies? And in contrast, the eternity of God. He will establish his kingdom. We should be praying for this. We should be praying that people believe and trust Christ as their Savior so they will be established in this kingdom as well. In the midst of our emotions, sad or afraid, worried or anxious, uneasy or whatever it be, it should be to go in reverence first. Our reaction should be to go in reverence and to go in reason for God's glory. I pray that myself and you all are like Hezekiah in this regard. And I pray that we are not like the man that barges into the teacher's room demanding answers before God. Let's go over to Luke 12, verse 13. Luke 12, verse 13. It says, Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide 
the family inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter over you? Then it says, Then he said to them, Be aware and be on your guard against every form of greed, for not even when one has abundance does his life consist of his possessions. So as we think to ourselves, we want to be more like Hezekiah. And as I pray that I'm like that, and as I pray that you're like that, we want to also be careful not to be like this man from Luke 12, who he sees Jesus doing these miracles. He sees Jesus healing people, saving people, causing people to walk. And he misses the point. He has one thing to say to Jesus. And he says, tell my brother to divide my inheritance. He doesn't fall to his feet in worship and reverence and awe. First, his initial reaction was material possessions in light of his Savior. So I pray that our initial reaction is to go to God first, but not to go to God to demand for things, not to go to God to make requests for our nation, not to go to God first so that our posterity and our prosperity is taken care of. But that we go to God first for his name to be magnified and proclaimed among the nations. How much would our prayer change for our country right now, for our unsaved friends and family right now, for our future right now? If this is our focus, if this is what we take from Hezekiah. So as I close, I pray that we strive to be like Hezekiah. He has the right lens in which we are to see ourselves and to see our life. Right? He knows that his initial reaction, reverence, and reason in prayer is to magnify God's name. It all starts with turning from our sins at salvation, placing our faith in Christ, and growing each day in our love for Him. And whether trials come or they don't, they might not. We live in a really great nation, a great time. We're not persecuted like a lot of people have been. We don't have enemies on our doorstep threatening and blaspheming our God. But through this, we have the right lens to pray in godly reaction, reverence, and reason. Let's go ahead and pray. God, thank you for this night. Thank you for the truth from 2 Kings 19. Uh, Lord, I just pray that you help us to understand this message, that you help us to apply this truth to our life. Lord, I pray that we first bow our heads in salvation to you, and then we next, Lord, bow our head that we need you daily, and that we need you um, for our protection. But Lord, that, that when we pray for our trials, when we pray for our worries, when we pray for our emotions and the events happening in our lives, that we do so with the reasoning that your name is glorified and that we do so with the proper reverence of worship for you. 
Lord, I just pray that when our trials do come, if they come, Lord, that, that this is the lens in which we see it. And I pray that, that people that don't know you, that they come to the saving truth that Jesus died for them as their mediator, and that he rose again, and he can take away their sins, and he can protect them spiritually no matter what happens physically. Lord, I thank you for this time. I thank you for your truth. In Jesus' name. Amen.